You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Nowhere to Run. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If you have any questions for me, you can email me at nowhere to run 1984 at gmail.com. Sorry for the delay in uh, the shows here. I know it's been more than a few weeks, and that's been because uh, just really super, super ultra busy with the planning for Africa and with Ancient Aliens Debunked. I'll talk about both of those things in a minute. Um, but one thing I wanted to mention about emailing me is the that I, I'm, I'm leaving in just a few days now. It's a little less than two weeks. Um about 12 days, and I'll be gone for about 70 days, a little over two months. And during that time, I won't have access to the Internet. Well, it'll be spotty at best, and uh, so I won't be answering emails um, like I am now. What I hope to do is to set up an autoresponder that will uh, have a comprehensive, frequently asked questions and links to other things that people might might be writing me about. Um, so... That'll have a good purpose because I'm looking forward to sitting down and putting together a frequently asked questions thing because I, I know it can have use in other applications as well. So, uh, so yeah, that so the next uh, few months, if you try to write me, that I won't uh, I won't be there. That doesn't mean that I can't read emails because uh, when I do get a chance to get to the internet, which I'm sure will be you know every you know once a week or something like that at, at least. Maybe even more. I don't really know yet. But when I do, um, I'll be able to check all the emails and read them. So if there's something important, definitely email me. I'll still be able to to read it and respond if necessary, if it's important. Um, but I don't want to discourage you from writing because if it's something that uh, you you would like to hear from me about, I'll have my wife, Connie, be checking emails and she'll be letting me know if something's important and she'll be able to help respond as well. So uh, as well as being... So she's also going to help them be forwarded to the places that uh, need to go. For instance, uh, if you're ordering a Christianity 101 DVD, uh, which again are all free, but uh, but you still have to like fill out a little form to know where to send it, then she will be forwarding those to um, Sam, who will be taking care of the mailing of those items and stuff. So, and some other things are going on as far as the designation of duties while I'm gone. Uh, gone, Tim Kilkenny from. Um, uh, various programs on the Revelations Radio Network will be taking over the duties of uh, Revelations Radio Network and uh, also posting RN Weekly and uh, RN Classic shows, as well as just maintaining the website, looking for problems. Is also, he's maintaining all of my uh, websites, all the WordPress websites anyway, which of which I have about 23 or so um, about that. The reason I know I have 23 websites is because of a recent virus attack on all my websites. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It was a com it was like a perfect storm of, of problems, but it was severely infected. If you visited my uh, uh, any of my sites uh, just about uh, over the last month or so, you probably, um, you know, probably were definitely in danger of being infected if you weren't uh, actually infected. Sorry, my... Uh, phone is going off there, but um, anyway, that's all taken care of now. It's it's totally safe to go to the sites, uh, but what I had to do is basically strip them all of any kind of visual, uh, um, anything visual. So I took all the themes away, 
And so it's ba real, real basic sites and nothing is, is very uh, elaborate. And I probably could go through now and put some themes on there and make them pretty or whatnot, but I just don't have the time right now. So I just got them to where they are functional and they're extremely secure. One good blessing that uh, occurred was I know a whole lot more about website security uh, than I did before. So uh, we're glad for that. Um, and, you know, I'll talk uh, about some other things here later on. But one of the issues that has been keeping me busy is the Ancient Aliens Debunked project. And it's been... It's been challenging to uh, to get prepared for Africa with that because in a lot of the preparations for Africa are ancient aliens debunked related because I want to write the script while I'm in Africa and because I won't have access to the internet I'm trying to just collect everything I can uh, whether it's a paper or a book or just website uh, information and put it all on uh, an e-reader a uh, uh, Amazon Kindle so that I, which has a really long battery life, like 13 hours or something, so I can read about all these things as I try to write uh, the script. So, but, you know, the ancient aliens question is just so vast. I mean, there's so many mysteries that uh, require a lot of research. It's like, you know, debunking everything. It's like this debunk, debunk all mysteries movie. I mean, in a way, and it's trying to do it really quickly, too. But in order to debunk anything, you have to spend a lot of time learning about it before you can uh, even understand what's going on with it. The, the kind of rule of thumb with debunking is that you, if you uh, are going to debunk something, you have to know more about it than the person who made the false claim about it. So whoever knows the most wins, basically. And very often deception is just like that. It, it presumes that uh, you won't or don't uh, want to go look look up and learn more about it than they do. So, uh, as a result, I have a ton of stuff to research, but thankfully I've had a great team of researchers that has just done a phenomenal job helping me with that, and they've been, you know, the reports are coming in about various issues, and everybody's just done a, a spectacular job. All that's pretty well done. Uh, as far as uh, their work, there's still a few out, but pretty much all of them are done, and now it's just kind of on my, um, uh, up to me to sort of work it all out. Um, just got done with one that I thought I would mention because it's something that I've thought about for a long time and didn't really have any um, any ideas about it. I think I mentioned in one of the recent episodes that I, I tried to keep an open mind with a lot of this stuff. I mean, I really didn't know about the building of these ancient megalith sites like the pyramids or Baalbek or uh, Puma Punku or any of these things. I mean, I was open to, you know, a lot of weird possibilities with all that stuff. And I just knew that I hadn't really researched it very much other than like what I did during, you know, during the process of getting deceived about it, you know, in the new age or uh, with Ike or Sitchin, everybody that ever told me anything about uh, bailback always had an agenda. So I only knew like a little bit, um, although I thought I knew a lot. Um, so I went into it with an open mind and I have heard this from so many of the people on the research team now that, uh, it's just not as fascinating as they thought, you know, they also went into it with a similar mindset that, Hey, you know, whatever it is, you know, it could be supernatural in some way, whatever. But uh, I've heard from many people now that it's just like, 
you know, it's just not that weird. You know, it's pretty mundane. It's pretty humdrum in, in a lot of these things. Uh, but I wanted to talk about one in particular, which is bailback. Um, <clears throat> bailback is in Lebanon, and I sh I'm sure many of you know exactly what I'm talking about when I mention that. But just for those of you that don't, I'll give you the quick thumbnail. Bailback is a place where the largest uh, stones that have ever been quarried or placed are these uh, stones that encompass this particular wall. There's three of them. They, they call them the Trithalon stones, or uh, I don't know exactly how to pronounce that, but it's basically three of them. They're about 800 tons each, give or take. Some people say 1,000 tons, whatever. And there's also two other stones around there, one of them called the Stone of the Pregnant Woman, that are still in the quarry that, for whatever reason, were never actually taken out of the quarry. And they are... Um, they are a little bit larger than the stones in the actual uh, Trithalon. They are about 1,200 tons, 1,000 to 1,200, give or take, depending on who you're listening to. And so these are absolutely huge stones. They're the biggest, as I mentioned, ever quarried or placed. And Ancient Aliens says all kinds of stuff about this. The old the, the old story is that, uh, that Zachariah Sitchin started with this is that uh, it was a place for rockets to... Uh, land and to take off and for some unknown reason they need really really big stones underneath their rockets so whatever that's and he he had has a lot of sort of backstory to that uh with you know that uh G Gilgamesh called it the landing place and there's all this sort of nonsense that he uh says about the Sumerian texts and uh I don't think I'm going to go into that right now I'll go into that in the in the video because it'll make a lot more sense in context of what they claim but I will say a little bit about um, the stones and how they were quarried and, and everything that went down there. One of the things that Ancient Alien says about Baalbek is, is how, why would anybody do this? You know, these stones are so big. Keep in mind that the Trithalon stones are a part of a, a wall. They're not as if they are like a part of the platform. Like that's the way that they kind of make you think that these things are like... Uh, make the platform, but they're actually sitting on top of smaller stones as a part of a outer wall, the western, uh, the western perimeter of Baalbek, the Baalbek complex. Let me describe that a little bit. Uh, the Baalbek complex has about three temples on it, uh, one to Jupiter, for instance, or, or you know, different gods changed over time or what whatnot. But there's three temples. It's kind of like a big courtyard, if you will, and um, on the western perimeter. There is a big wall, and that wall is what has the uh, Trithlon stones in it side by side. So the the uh, claims are always, why would they put the, such big stones on top of these other stones? And they just obviously come up with nothing, or intentionally or otherwise, on ancient aliens. So they uh, they say it's, it's to land spaceships, but there's actually a awesome reason for that huge wall on the western side and if you look up Baalbek in just about any you know actual archaeological literature or anything they call the western wall a retaining wall uh just point blank it's a retaining wall and that just that says i mean it it's a retaining wall is um to hold back the earth uh and whenever you're on a slope or something like that or there's soil erosion or whatnot you need a big retaining wall. It's also necessary. The Romans and the Greeks used them 
quite frequently in the making of their auditoriums, of which was very important in Greek and Roman culture, uh, because they would be indented in the ground, so they always had to build these retaining walls to keep back the earth. It's a big engineering uh, uh, thing that they did, and they have to be exceedingly strong. There's a lot of math and stuff that has to go in with it because they're holding back, you know, a huge amount of earth. And Baalbek is a very interesting site for this reason. Uh, the western wall is sitting on, I mean, it's its the on the, the downhill side of this uh, hill. Uh, it's literally there to hold back the soil erosion. That area in the Valley of Baca is, is very endangered because of the soil erosion problem. If you, uh, and one of the reasons, if you look up soil erosion, you'll see that the primary man-made cause of soil erosion is deforestation. The val Lebanon in general is, is severely deforested. I'm sure you, you may have heard of the cedars of Lebanon. It was uh, made famous in ancient times. Their, their wood, the cedars of Lebanon, were just world-renowned. The Bible talks about Solomon uh, using so much of their wood and paying them so much for it. Um, it. And some people believe that was probably when a big majority of the deforestation happened. But nevertheless, we do know that, that there are almost no more cedars in Lebanon because of massive deforestation. And see, trees keep the soil from eroding because of the root system, uh, keep the soil from moving. In addition, the raindrops have to hit the leaves and not just the leaves, but they're also, their velocity is slowed because of the foliage that uh, accumulates on the ground over time. So without trees, raindrops have their full velocity on the soil and ultimately uh, over time cause massive soil erosion which I just uh, was showing uh, uh, Ghani, who did the the research for uh, Baalbek. He did a lot of the uh, research, turned up so much stuff in debunking the uh, um, the Sumerian claims about Gilgamesh or whatever. And I was showing him this, uh, uh, or I don't think I actually showed him the document, but I mentioned the document of the, the UN... Um, paper that was in 2006 about the the massive problem of soil erosion in, at uh, at Baalbek but i mean the the houses there are uh their foundations are are moving it's making the whole area uninhabitable so it's a national cri crisis this soil erosion problem you know it's a really interesting thing is that if you look at um if you look at uh uh, Easter Island. Well, let me put it this way. If you look at up soil erosion on Wikipedia, they will have a picture of Easter Island. And some of you may be familiar with the, um, the recent finds that some of the Moai, that is the big heads on Easter Island, have full bodies. I mean, they're, they're actually covered up to their heads in soil. Um, and it's ac actually for the exact same reason. One of the things people say about Easter Island is that how could they do that because they didn't have trees on the island in which to do that. And they needed trees to make the sleds. They needed trees to make the levers to, to lift them and to place them. And so that's one of the things they say. It must be aliens because there wasn't any trees. But the fact is, is that there used to be a lot of trees on Easter Island. But because they've made literally thousands of these moai over the course of hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, they... they deforested uh, you know, there was a deforestation of the entire island or mostly the entire island and as a result the soil erosion problem at easter island is notorious now and that and hence you have the huge uh, uh the covering of these moai 
uh, up to their necks. You can actually see the soil erosion at Baleback too. If you look at the uh, pictures of the stone of the pregnant woman, you can see it's, a, it's obviously eroded. Uh, the soil is all around it and stuff like that. All that to say is that there was a really good reason to put a western, huge blocks at the western end of Baleback to for soil erosion purposes. If not, the whole complex was in danger. I mean, the, the stones at the bottom would have been easily moved by the encroaching earth. It was just an engineering necessity, basically. And some interesting stuff about the uh, this is that it, when making retaining walls, megaliths, the heavier the stones, the better. That's the sort of rule of thumb with retaining walls. And actually, sometimes they will put the uh, the larger stones on top of the smaller stones uh, to reinforce them because of their weight. So nothing is out of the ordinary at Bellback in that regard. Most people, when I when I was learning about this from um, from all the New Age sources and stuff like that, they would always say, you know, the the bottom of this thing was is clearly not Roman. But um, first of all, you need to know everybody agrees that the the temple was Roman. I mean, it, I mean it was Greek and Roman uh, after it. But um, they also agree that there was an original site. The site has been sacred for a long time. But if you listen to the presentations that people say on this, they really skew the data. They make you think that the the platform has been there since ancient times because that fits with the theory that aliens were there and used it to uh, lift their rockets off or whatnot. Um, but really what was there in ancient times was a small temple, probably where the modern-day uh, Temple of Jupiter or something, uh, you know, uh, keep in mind there's a massive platform there now, and there's three temples. So back in the ancient days, there was probably one of those temples, no retaining wall or anything like, like that. Um, but So they, they kind of build that case up and sort of get in your mind that there, that the platform or that retaining wall was there uh, uh beforehand so that so they just the way i always assumed it was was that the the temple was built on top of the platform and the platform was there from ancient times because that's the way they make you think but that's not the case at all the romans were super duper duper super duper duper skilled at moving heavy heavy blocks they actually had cranes at Baalbek, multiple cranes at Baalbek. they were um Claims that they have holes in some of the stones. They're called, uh, what are they called? Lewis holes. Um, they could lift up one side of that thing. They could crib it up, lift one, counterweight the other side. Just like that guy that does the uh, lifts those Stonehenge blocks in his backyard. Not the Coral Castle guy, but the modern guy who by himself, like, you know, rises Stonehenge blocks, you know, just by doing simple, just engineering stuff, you know, moving the counterweights to one side, put a piece of wood on the end, do it on the other side, redo it, whatever. You could do all that stuff very easily. But here's a, here's an interesting tidbit. At the same time the Romans were doing this, they, they were at Baalbek for about 200 years. I mean, that's a long time for the greatest purse in the ancient world to be dedicated to building a site. Um, they were at Baalbek for 200 or, or something years until they abandoned the project. They never did complete the project. Uh, but at that same time, there was also another retaining wall being built, I mean, technically by the Romans. It was built by Herod, uh, but Herod was, I mean, basically he was a Roman, um, what do they call him, a Roman uh, something king. Rome, the Romans put Herod in place and everybody knew it. Um, and there, he was proud of that fact. So, well, he tried to downplay it to the Jews, but basically, yeah, I mean, Herod the Great built the uh, what's known as the Herod's Temple, which of what is standing today is, guess what? The Western Wall, guess what that is? It's a retaining wall. 
And it has in it several stones, one of which is, I mean, only slightly less uh, big than the baleback stones. It's like 500 or 600 tons, and between five and 600 tons anyway. And it's there for the same purpose because it's a retaining wall and you need super, super big, complete stones. Uh, and the bigger the stone is and the heavier the stone is, the better your retaining wall is. So built at the same time virtually um, as as the others for the same purpose, retaining wall. So Herod wasn't an alien. You know, you only had to be just slightly more skilled than Herod to do the bailback retaining wall. And I've got lots of pictures of this. Uh, it's kind of hard to find really good pictures of the western side of this. But I will, um, if you go to my website, which is no longer has any viruses, you can go to, um, let's see, go to nowhere2runradio.com. And in this show, which I'll post probably on 5-22-2012, I'll put a link to some pictures where you can see the western side of Baleback and how the soil is encroaching there. Uh, they have planted some trees now uh, in that area right on that western side to sort of prevent the um, the erosion. Uh, tr tree planting is something that is a big part in, in Lebanon right now. They're trying to do that to sort of save the uh, what the rest of um, what they've got. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. There was a few things other than that I wanted to mention about that. Um, yeah, the people that say that the bottom of that wasn't Roman or whatever... Uh, are basing that off of something that Sitchin and Von Daniken based it off of, which was uh, a book that was written before anybody had ever done an ex excavation at Baalbek. And uh, all the ex excavations after that have shown conclusively that, hey, these things, this is clearly Roman. And they'll always say things like, I mean, the, the typical website will say of the Baalbek statue, or not statue, but uh, blocks, this is not Roman in any way, shape, or form. They just sort of say that. Th this block isn't of the Roman style. And one wonders what the Roman style is in that context. It's a big, it's a big block, you know. It's a, like I mentioned, it's very similar to the... Uh, to the Herodian uh, temple and others. It's it's just something that conspiracy sites say to put that in, idea in your mind that the Romans couldn't do it because they need you to believe that aliens did it. So, um, But yeah, it's thoroughly Roman in every way. Uh, but yes, it, it was built. That site was sacred for a long time before that um, in, in Canaan. And they did have a temple there probably because it was on a hill and probably because it was close to a quarry. That brings me to the next part about moving these stones. How to move these stones? Well, again, the Romans, not just, I mean, they moved, let's say, let's just for to be safe, 300, 400 ton pillars from Egypt to Rome. Okay. The, these, this quarry is like not even, not even half a mile from, uh, from Baalbek. I mean, it's a really close quarry. You could see it on uh, Google Earth, thanks to Ghana. He, uh, he made a little uh, thing there on Google Earth to show how close the quarry was, or at least how close the stone of the pregnant, pregnant woman, which is in a quarry, uh, was. Um, but the Romans were taking, you know, stones at least, you know, half that size, a little less than half, and dragging them all over the all over the known world, to dragging them from Egypt to Rome or Paris or whatever. And they had all kinds of ways to do that. So for Romans dragging stones, it was not so hard. Uh, but what makes this a little bit different, people say, well, you have to lift this. And Ancient Aliens goes to some length to say, you got to lift these stones. Nobody can lift these stones. And they always bring out the, no crane today could lift it. they got a guy like that's supposedly some stone expert standing next to a five-ton stone and saying, this stone right here couldn't be lifted by the heaviest crane that we could rent. 
I was thinking five tons. I mean, I used to work in a business that rented uh, uh, equipment to to lift really really heavy equipment. It was a rigging uh, company for for heavy lift uh, um, machinery and stuff like that. And I know, I mean, five ton hoist was like the least you could, you know, one, they had one two ton hoist, but I mean, five ton was a very very small hoist and cranes were way more capable than that so he's basically saying the, the one that he rented couldn't lift it which is funny because i mean that's about the capacity of the roman stone the roman cranes you know that people say well they could only lift five tons you know a roman crane could lift what he said that modern day cranes couldn't do anyway beside the point i suppose the point i'm making here about bailback and the trithalon stones is that they probably didn't even need to be uh lifted because the quarry uh, and there are some conflicting reports about this. I have uh, I have people saying, no, the quarry is downhill. No, the quarry is uphill. But all the more scholarly stuff, and it's hard to, I mean, without being there and actually walking around, I can't tell for sure, but I'm going to make sure I know this before I say it. But, uh, well, at least in the movie, I guess I can say it to you guys because you don't care. Um, but I'm almost confident, 100% confident, that the quarry was uh, 15 meters uphill. In any case, it's not a big, it's not very far, and it's not very much of a slant. I mean, even if it was 15 meters in the other direction, you can see a picture from Baalbek or the Stone of the Pregnant Woman to the Temple and see, you know, it's it's not much. But uh, the more scholarly reports say that it's 15 meters at least uphill, meaning that all you had to do was build a little uh, rubble heap there. You actually could drag this thing right over that thing, not actually have to lift it. Technically, if the thing is uphill, then you don't have to lift the stone if you're placing it somewhere uh, that is 15 meters uh, one way or the other. So that totally takes care of the whole problem of lifting the stones. You would still have to move the stones. But uh, as anybody will tell you, that as long as you can get just a pebble underneath that stone, you can actually move it pretty easily as long as it's on a stone surface. Um, and that's what the guy that does all this stuff in his backyard uh, shows so easily. You know, he's pushing with one hand these multi-ton rocks because he's got a little pebble underneath it. And so there's all kinds of little tricks that they knew about there. The Romans have drawings all over the stones, including the Trithalon stones, of their plans at Baalback and stuff like that. So recent study was showing all that stuff. So, um, you know, Baalback is just not that fascinating. Yes, it's fascinating for engineering purposes and, and, and Roman and Greek, uh, you know, technology in that sort of very mundane sense, but it's not a, it's not a spaceport and it doesn't require Nephilim. And, you know, the, I was, I was so convinced, you know, before every time I'd hear about ne megalith sites, I'm like, ah, well, Nephilim. But, you know, that's not, that's not very, uh, that's not even that biblical, really. I mean, there's no indication that the Nephilim built this stuff. Um, and plus, you know, it was post-flood. I mean, it was, I mean, technically there shouldn't be all that many Nephilim running around. But, uh, and it would seem, and I've been saying that for a long time, but, you know, after this research, it's just like, you know, this is not, this is not that mystic. And perhaps it's better that we stop being a little too quick to look for uh, new agey sort of um, uh, explanations to some of these things. I mean, you know me, I mean, I'm, I'm all there with the, with the basics and all this stuff, but uh, we ought not to see um, conspiracy where there is none. And, um, I don't think bailback, at least, is a conspiracy or was done in a supernatural way. I certainly don't think it was done by levitation and all these things that the uh, the New Agers say. 
I guess that's a good transition into the um, other thing I wanted to talk about, which was I was listening to this secular conspiracy news show, and uh, I was talking about how we need to go out and tell people about all this stuff, and it's really important, and they're going to start, uh, you know, rounding people up in camps any day now, and those kinds of ideas that we've been hearing for the last ten plus years, and uh, I don't mean to sort of disparage the idea because I do think that that stuff is um, is very important and that it's mostly true and that I don't know when or whatnot but at some point political dissidents people that are good uh, info warriors will be rounded up and, and and killed and all that stuff I don't know when or whatnot but uh, certainly being a political dissident is not uh, not something that is going to be looked upon with any favor to say the least when all this control grid gets put in place but i was just thinking as they were saying this i was like oh man i don't want to die for the info war i don't want to go out because i was telling people about the you know this stuff you know um i was just thinking about you know i mean at one hand i, I don't want to disparage it because i know that certain people play very important roles in that. I'm I'm thinking of like Dan Stockin, who uh, was a guy, oh, just what a great guy, great Christian guy too. Um, and he he was he is basically the go-to fluoride guy. He he's the guy that really single-handedly was able to work with the media, you know, send out these press releases, do all this stuff to get everybody on board. I mean, he got like all these these reporters, uh, different news uh, people to do stories on on fluoride, and really just. He he almost single-handedly got all the cities that are uh, that are certainly around in Tennessee to uh, in fluoridation because he was a really smart guy in the way that he um, presented the information and stuff like that. Um, and so yeah, we we need Dan Stockins out there, and we need people to do those uh, things that that they have on their heart to do. But I guess I'm really talking more generally. Um, to the Christian out there, and I'm talking about the Christian who has had a heart change and is really uh, knows what I am talking about when when you look around and you see no longer the the the, the things that are necessary is not telling people the nuts and bolts of the conspiracy and how useless that is. Uh, ultimately, because Satan's doing that with your Ikes and Maxwells and Tessarians and Swerdlows and uh, um, Wilcox and on and on and on and on. I mean, Watson, I could just never stop telling you about people that are destroying people's lives and souls, or at least playing a part in it. And they're telling them about conspiracy stuff. The, 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 the way, the, the most important thing is not telling people about conspiracy stuff it's just not and if i oftentimes get emails like hey i'm trying to tell everybody i can about this but nobody's listening they're looking at me like whatever you know don't don't let that burden you so much um out of the heart the mouth speaks i've said it before about talking about this don't let your heart be so concerned with this stuff that that's all you want to talk about and i understand from a worldly point of view from a secular point of view what else if you, what else what else is so epic what else is so important and as christ said you know go make disciples of all men um that's the issue we need to be making disciples of all men we need to be training them about uh about the word and teaching them uh, about those things if you don't know those things the most important thing you could do to fight the new world order 
is what your grandma is telling you to do. I hate to put it like that, but that's what it is. It's, you need to learn the Bible. You need to just open the New Testament and just become an expert in the New Testament. Let him change your heart. You know, his words are powerful. His words are supernatural. And if you just commit to discovering it the same way that you've committed to discovering all this other stuff, then he will, his word will accomplish that which he sends it to do. He, he will accomplish uh, the changing of your heart too through his word. Um, God says that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And I just want to encourage people out there to do that. And also, in the context of everything I was saying about this, don't die for the info war thing. I want to let you know that uh, you really need to, to consider uh, history. Turn off the TV for and, and listen to... I'm going to ask Tim to play um, some stuff, uh, some church history stuff on the Revelations Radio Network while I'm gone. A series by David Guzik, and just get it, get the context for what what this is about. I mean, we have never, as Christians, been in a place where we weren't actually tortured to death by the most gruesome ways that you can imagine. They used to like do horrible things that are even not even worthy of mentioning on air and in, a, in polite company. What they used to do to the average person who would say, you know. I am not going, I mean, being saved is something that happens after, you know, to somebody once they've believed in Christ and repented, not to somebody, it's something that happens when you are born and baptized. You know, that even in the late, late period, people were still tortured to death for things like that. The, 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 it's amazing when you get the context that, that what we're doing now, meeting in homes or meeting in churches, literally was punishable by excruciating death. And that, um, I was just thinking about the Anabaptist movement. If you, if you said, you know, I don't think that it's so. I don't, I don't see anywhere in the scriptures where people or infants are baptized. It's like I only see people being baptized that like have just become a Christian. I see only adults being baptized. And if you actually went and bat, got baptized as a result of that, you were considered first of all radical even in the Reformation days. But if you did that, if you actually went baptized, it was well known that you would be drowned to death. They would say, oh, you like going into the water so much, we're going to drown you to death then. I want people to realize the severity of that, it, that people would knowingly get baptized, knowing that it was a high possibility that they would be killed for doing so. That's something that's just so foreign to us. And I don't want you to be for, that concept to be foreign to you because it may be coming back again. And I want you to at least be mentally aware that that is a very real possibility and it could get worse than it ever got. In fact, I think that it says quite plainly that it will be worse than anything that has happened in the past, which is pretty scary. But I want you to at least get that check that 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 is that, it, you know, that is what's most important. And I know right now it's almost impossible for anybody to be serious about anything or desire to diligently seek the Lord because you don't need to. And I just want to encourage people to to have a change of heart about that, to consider the word that's in front of you and consider prayer and and its its benefit. And um, anyway, I won't uh, I won't preach at you much longer here. Um, oh, yeah. Speaking of that, I actually am officially licensed to uh, I've been ordained. So that's awesome. I was ordained through. Uh, my church it was a church plant that we are uh, taking in part of, 
and they uh, they prayed for me. The whole church prayed for me, and I got these uh, fancy certificates. So I am officially ordained, and that's awesomeness. And I really am so thankful for that and for uh, my pastor for doing that for me. Um, the other things were uh, Africa. Uh, the issue is I will be leaving in a few days for Africa. I'm I'm very nearly completed with all the tasks. It's literally taken me six months to get to a point where just this morning I woke up and for the first time in six months, I didn't feel completely like I had to immediately get started in order to be able to uh, make the deadline of 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 this uh, this trip. So I'm getting close to the end of, I mean, right now it's just a lot of uh, nuts and bolts I have to take care of and, you know, just little little things. So that's all coming up really soon. Uh, I want to thank everybody for their support and um, for their prayers. Um, and also I want to mention about Africa. I'll be trying to keep everything updated to a degree. What I'll be doing is I've got a little uh, a voice recorder here, and I'm going to be journaling with it every day. And I'll probably do anywhere from two minutes or something like that every day that I'm in Africa. So I hope when I get back, I'll at least have one or two uh, hour length podcasts. So, and if I, if I can, I'll be blogging or whatnot if I have access to the internet, but I don't really anticipate that. But I am excited. I've got a lot of projects that um, I've just made some videos uh, for as far as the initial things and showing some of the things I'll be doing or whatever. And I may put those up before I go. I'm not sure yet. But this will probably be the last I talk to most of you before then. Um, I may, uh, I have a testimony somewhere uh, or two that I may be airing um, after I leave or have somebody else air after I leave. And so there should be at least two new, new nowhere to runs during the, the time that I'm gone, I hope. And thanks to everybody. Thanks to everybody for your support. I know I've been kind of um, busy the last six months what, with the ancient aliens thing here recently and the planning for the Africa trip. So I've kind of put nowhere to run on the back burner there and certainly verse by verse in the back burner and some of the other things. But I do hope that it's high yield. I think that the Africa thing is going to, I mean, I, I'm expecting great things uh, that the Lord will do in Africa. And I really do hope to change the the country uh, for the better, at least uh, as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. And I also uh, believe that the project of Ancient Aliens can all, is also going to be the most highly impactive movies that I've ever made. And I also think it's going to be the most intense debunking and the most comprehensive debunking, the most subjects ever debunked and the best they've ever been debunked. So I'm really excited about that. And um, so thanks for your support of all these ministries and all the things that are going on. Uh, I couldn't, literally couldn't do it without you. I mean, uh, I'm able to do this full time um, because of because of people um, donate. And so that's really awesome. And I really thank the people that have. And I, uh, as I um, go and as I do all these things, I do pray that whatever, um, whatever fruit that the Lord uh, bears through me and all this stuff, you know, he says to the Philippians that, you know, the, the fruit might be accounted to your account, you know, because they supported him. And those of you that uh, have supported me through this, uh, I do uh, I do pray that the Lord would accredit all the fruit or, or, you know, equal portions to all of us to to your account. That when we all show up, we have treasure in heaven with our name on it. Uh, so do pray for the trip. Pray for it to be fruitful. Pray for 
the maximum amount of good that the Lord can do with the teachings, especially uh, in Africa. The, the, the conference is going to be five days, uh, wait, four days, plus the fifth day of uh, me speaking at the church. I've got so many things that I want to teach, and I want those teachings to be uh, very effective. I really tried over the last uh, six months of writing those to be as faithful as I could um, to the word, even though sometimes it was hard. Sometimes it was uh, hard to hear, especially in a, in a context of a uh, multi-denominational conference. I know that I'm going to have people that are going to disagree, especially about things about the gospel or whatever. So pray that it, it accomplishes um, what it what it set out to do and that the Lord would bless the teaching of his word. I do pray most of all that you guys would pray for this conference and that, and pray for the cell phone projects that it would, uh, I mean, I really do believe that it can change um, everything in terms of Bible distribution in, in lands that uh, are undeveloped lands. By the way, I just posted a video on my backup YouTube account for anybody that's interested. Um, the uh, it's basically the PowerPoint presentation I'm going to be giving about the cell phones. It's basically talking to the them about what to do with their cell phones and how to receive the information and stuff. I, I put it there for people that were considering doing something like I was doing. It really has no application except for anybody that's uh, that's out there trying to do what I'm doing uh, with the distribution of the Bibles or the distribution of the uh, the uh, concordance material. Um, but I do hope that uh, if that catches on, then the distribution of Scripture in the undeveloped world will be free and will be something that you can go to a conference in India and have a thousand people show up and have one guy give everybody a Bible in their language. You know, it could change everything. It could change everything about missions. So pray for that. And there's a lot of technical stuff and a lot of just stuff going on with all that stuff that I need help and uh, prayer with. So thanks again. Thanks for listening to me ramble as usual. And uh, I will talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Nowhere to Run. You can download all of the archives to this show and others I've done for free at NowhereToRunRadio.com. Your prayers and donations are needed and appreciated. You can partner with me to reach many more people with discipleship, apologetics, and the gospel. Go to Nowhere to Run Radio to help support this ministry. Thanks for your time.